All right. So if you didn't get a handout, the handouts are over there. And if you got one, we're going to jump into our study here. We're on our last week dealing with the presence of evil. And uh, we've been in this for a little bit of time now. Try, oops, I'm in Ephesians. Let me get to the <laughs> biblical worldview. You tell I've been working on more than one sermon in the last couple days. Uh, here we go. Biblical worldview. That looks a little better. Um, so we left off last time, and, and we, we talked about a lot of things the last time we met, had a lot of good conversation. But as we ended our time the last time, we ended with the two thoughts are at the top of your page here, uh, two responses of God to suffering. And we talked about, number one, that God will execute judgment, and we that's where we kind of ended last week. We were talking about the fact that there is coming a day some things will be judged in our lifetime, but some things are not going to be judged in our lifetime. But judgment is coming, and judgment will be meted out, and uh, God will right wrongs. That's happening. But in the meantime, and this is where we left off, um, we want to note that God um, enters uh, our brokenness. Um, and, and I put a note on there, we must remember the entire, uh, sorry, when it comes to brokenness, we must remember the entire theme of the scripture is what? Redemption. I mean, all of Scripture is about redemption. Uh, I have a, I have a book in my office. It's about that thick, and it's called the Unfolding Drama of Redemption. It's a walk through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, showing where every book of the Bible touches on redemption in some way, shape, or form. There's this there's this like this red line of redemption that runs through the the entirety of Scripture, and uh, and so God is a God of redemption. And so we, we must understand that. And uh, then I've got, I've got this note here um, that um, the, um, the cross, this is the first note under that statement, the cross is God's answer to evil in this world. The cross is God's answer to evil in this world. When we think about, when we think about all the evils, all the ills in this world, um, where does that all get taken care of? It all gets taken care of at the cross of Calvary because the cross of Calvary is what gives us our hope for what? A future in heaven. For those of us that have trust, trusted the Lord as our Savior, have trusted in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have a hope, and that hope is going to be an eternity spent in heaven in a place where we don't have to worry at that point about the evils of this world because the evils of this world will be dealt with and we will be living in a perfect place. And so when, when you really think about that, um, you, you realize that, that God's kind of already answered the question. You know, how, how, how am I going to deal with all this evil in the world? Well, how I'm going to deal with it is I'm going to give you a way to escape it. Now, that way comes either maybe by death someday, if the Lord doesn't return, or it comes when the Lord does return. But either way, God has provided a way of escape. And, and so that's the answer to how, what happens with all this evil around us. And this quote was in the book, the next statement there. I thought it, I thought it was really good. It says, people often ask, why do bad things happen to good people? The truth is, there was only one time that happened and he volunteered. <laughs> I thought that's pretty pretty potent quote when you think about it because we all ask that question, right? Why do good things, bad things happen to good people? But really are people good? We're all sinners. That's what we all are. There's only one time when something evil happened to somebody who really never deserved anything evil, and that was what happened to Jesus Christ when he went to the cross. 
And uh, we're actually going to look at that a little bit at the end of our study tonight as well. But uh, but I just thought that was an interesting quote in the book. I thought that was that was really good, something something worth sharing. So so let's talk about the hope of our redemption just a little bit here. And uh, as we get a little further in our study tonight, we're going to see some interesting things as we end up back in the book of Habakkuk in, in a few minutes. But first, we want to talk about a couple things here. And so the first thing we want to talk about is in Colossians chapter 1. Um, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14, and we've got this broken down in two spots here, the forgiveness of sin and the renewal of the earth. So the forgiveness of sin, let's look there first. Colossians 1:14, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So part, part of our hope of our redemption, part of what we rejoice in is that our sins have been forgiven. Our, our sins that we couldn't do anything about. The, the sins that, that because of them, the best I can do is those filthy rags. Those sins are, have been forgiven, what? Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, through what he did for me on the cross of Calvary. And so I can, I can rejoice. I can have hope in that, my, the hope of my redemption, in, in the fact that my sins have been forgiven. And then also Galatians chapter 3 Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on the tree. And so again, another passage, and there's many passages that we could go to dealing with the forgiveness of sins, but part of the hope of our redemption is, is the forgiveness of sins. And then we want to talk about the renewal of the earth. Now, I've got, I've got Habakkuk there first, but we're going to go to Habakkuk actually last. So let's go to Isaiah first, uh, Isaiah 11, I, Isaiah 11 and uh, verses 6 to 9. Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9, it says this. Uh, it says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now you read you read that passage, and and folks, we're obviously talking about the renewal of the earth at the end of time, after uh, all, after this this earth is dealt with. But it's an amazing passage of scripture when you think about the combinations that are given there. When you when you think about the the young child shall shall play on the hole of the asp, the serpent, uh, on a snake's den. The young child's going to play there, and he's not going to be hurt. You, talk, you think about the, you know, the, the cow and the bear shall feed their youngs together. You know, things that would never happen today. The lion and the lamb laying together. And, you know, that's one of the things I love when you go to Sight and Sound Theater in Pennsylvania. They got out front, they got a huge statue of the lion and the lamb laying together there. And what a beautiful thought that is. What a beautiful testimony of what's going to take place someday. Part of, part of our hope of reality redemption is the renewal of the earth as we know it and and the the removal of the curse so that things can go back to the way they were before the curse and what a blessing that's going to be so then let's turn over to revelation uh just for a second before we go to habakkuk revelation 21 
and uh, starting in verse 1, and then we're going to skip to verses 4 and 5. It says, And I saw uh, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first time in the first earth, were passed away, and there was no more sea. And then verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You know, I think about when I read that passage, particularly verse 4 there in that passage, verse 4 answers for all the evil and suffering in this world. I mean, you think about it. There shall be no more death. Probably one of the things we sorrow about the most is somebody that we love passing away. Uh, Neither sorrow, sadness, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are past. You think about all the things that are taken care of in that one verse of Scripture, that one passage of Scripture, that are the things that that affect us most greatly here on the earth. We're all impacted by death. We're all impacted by sorrow and tears and pain in life. We all suffer times of pain. Sometimes it's physical pain. Sometimes it's emotional pain. But whatever the case may be, we all are impacted by these things. There's not a single person in this room that hasn't been impacted somewhere along the way by death. And, uh, and, and so these things are all things that, are, that God is going to wipe away. He's going, they're going to be done away with. And that's a, that's a beautiful thought um, when, you, when you think about it. And then back, now let's go back into Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, and look at verses 14 and 17. And verse 14, it says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Um, kind of reminiscent of one verse we just read, mentioned the waters covering the sea. And then verse 17, uh, For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoil of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and for the violence of land of the city and all that dwell therein. And... Um, you know, it's wonderful that God is going to write these things and correct these things that have been so problematic to man to man all along. So now we're on the back page here. So I, I've just kind of posed a, a question here to discuss for a minute before we move on. Uh, and the question is this. How, how does knowing the end of the story, the, the passages we just read, how, how does knowing the end of the story of suffering help provide hope for us today because we we know the end of the story we just read it from the book of revelation we just read it from isaiah we just read it from habakkuk we know the end so knowing the end how does that provide us with hope today so let's talk about that for a minute any any thoughts on that brother brett it's grace to wait Yeah, we yeah we do that. Yeah, that's one great. And I don't have any right answers here, folks. There's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. I didn't write any. I just left a blank for us to discuss. But yeah, waiting on the Lord. That's a great. That's a great thought that that we ha- we learn to trust to wait on Him. That that He is going to do what He's promised to do. Isaiah 40, I think it is. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very good thought. Yeah. And that's not even what I thought about, but that's a great one. Yes. Anybody else? Something to think about how this how this provides hope to us today, uh, knowing the end of the story. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's one of the ones I thought of that the wicked are going to get taken care of. I can't wait, folks, for the day that all the lies are now revealed. 
Isn't it going to be a wonderful day when all that evil, all those lies, all the wickedness is brought to light and is judged? That's, I mean, that's, that's exciting when you think about the evil and the wickedness in this world. So, so knowing the end of the story, that provides us some encouragement that no matter what, these things are going to get dealt with. It may not happen in my lifetime. That's where the waiting, the patience part comes in, but they're going to get dealt with. Jim? I was just thinking, uh, you know, as far as fear, I thought the fear, what can man do to me? Yeah. And, you know, I remember John the Baptist, you know, he was more or less taunting Herod, you know, yeah. Do what you got to do. I'll, you're just gonna. <laughs> you're just gonna get me there faster. Yeah. No, really. That's true. What What can man do to us? You know. I, listen. I I grew up. I I was, I, I I was a very shy kid. I I did not. I I was not a popular kid. I was pretty shy. Uh, you know what the Lord's done. I've shared that testimony many times to be a pastor now and speaking all the time. That is not me. That's not my my personal background the way I grew up. I grew up pretty shy and I grew up fearing a lot of what men could do to me. Not so much evil, but just just that there were people that could that could hurt or harm me or cause me problems or bully me or whatever the case may be. And and I grew up fearing man a lot. And uh and and you know I, I think you know I don't have to fear man. Because what can man do to the Christian? I mean really the only thing he can do is send him to heaven a little faster. I mean, that's about it. I mean, there's really nothing man can do. Man is, man is not going to take away my salvation. He can't stop that. It's done. It's sealed. The day of redemption. So it gives me that encouragement. Gloria, and I'll come back to you, Brett. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Gonna happen. But if you're yeah. We have that hope. I love the passage that talks about God who cannot lie. <laughs> you know, and uh, I love that passage because it's very clear what God has promised will come to fruition, and God has promised these things in His Word, brother Brett. Well, also, faith is supposed to take over where our senses stop. Yeah. Because often we see evil happen right in front of our eyes, but we don't see it judged right away. Right. But uh, like Naboth's vineyard, you know, I've always kind of, you know, I've always felt so bad for Naboth who was accused falsely and killed. Yeah. And you don't see any immediate uh, resolution to that. Right. But God is taking care of that. He, yeah. He is taking care of that. Yeah. It's just a, with your senses, you don't discern that. Right. That's why we have to yeah, that's why we have to have faith. Yeah, and all these things. Yeah, and and, so, and particularly in this discussion, uh, you know, we have to have faith to carry us through suffering and hard times. Because again, if we wait till we're in them, folks, it's really going to challenge our faith. It challenges our faith enough as it is. But if we wait till we're in the difficult time, if we wait till we're in the suffering, if we wait till things can't get any worse, and then we try to muster up some faith, um, that's it's not going to work very well. I can tell you that. Any other thoughts on this? Uh, you know, um, how does knowing the end of the story of suffering help provide hope for us today? You know, I know for me, like, you know, people that I know that have passed away that I love, I'm going to see them again one day. You know, there's that hope, you know. I'm going to see my mom again one day. I'm going to see Joyce's mom again one day. I can't wait to that day. 
I've got five babies in heaven. I can't wait to the day I get to see them. All those children that we've lost over the years, you know, I can't wait. And there's going to come a day where we're going to get to do do that. I don't know how that's going to work, folks. I don't know how we're going to know. I don't know. But I'm excited about it, you know. And uh, and so that, that gives us encouragement. Anything else before we move on? Any other thoughts on how does knowing the end of the story of suffering help provide hope for us today? Anybody? All right, well, let's move on to our next point. So let, we're in Habakkuk. So let's go back for just a second because I want you to see a change that's taken place now. We, we're, we're two chapters into Habakkuk, and, and I want us to see that there, there has been a change that's beginning to take place, um, and it's dramatic. So let's look at back to Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. That was Habakkuk. Now, two chapters later... Chapter 3, here's Habakkuk, verse 17 to 19. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fr- shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the oil shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be uh, no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Now, folks, that's a dramatic change. From chapter 1 to chapter 3, where Habakkuk is originally crying out, Lord, you're not hearing me, you're not doing anything, you're not taking care of anything. And then chapter 3, not only just no more of that, but he says, I will rejoice in the Lord, in the God of my salvation. Now, I put this question in our notes. What hadn't changed? The circumstances were still the same, weren't they? The judgment was still coming. Babylon was still coming. Israel was going to be judged by a more wicked nation than they were. It was all still coming. But after the conversation with God, Habakkuk, he changed. He recognized how we deal with the presence of evil in this life. And so he began to change. Now, what brought about that change? Well, we skipped pretty much all of chapter 2 to get to where we were in chapter 3 about Habakkuk. But all through chapter 2, God addresses things that he's going to deal with. And so, Again, Habakkuk is this conversation between God and Habakkuk. The, you know, it's a very short book, but the whole book is a conversation. And 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 so Habakkuk kind of kind of lays it all out in chapter one, and in chapter two, like even in my Bible, the the heading for chapter two says the Lord answers Habakkuk. In chapter two, God responds to Habakkuk, and then in chapter three, my Bible, the heading is Habakkuk's prayer. 
So, so we have Habakkuk kind of lays out the problem, lays out what he's frustrated by, lays out the, and then he gets, then he gets the secondary problem. Remember, when God says, "I'm going to work a work," the Chaldeans are going to come in and take over, and then Habakkuk has that new problem of like, "I don't understand, Lord, you're going to deal with us with a nation more wicked than we are," and uh, yet that was what God was planning. And then God talks to Habakkuk all through chapter two about what he's going to do, and you can read that on your own time if you want. But I thought I had a note that mentioned several of those things, but I don't see it. Right now, but anyway, but God God talks to Habakkuk about those things that He's going to do all through chapter two, and we get to chapter three, and Habakkuk's like, "I rejoice in the Lord." A total transformation, a total change in his attitude. So now I've got two sections left tonight. I want to talk about, and we we may get through them. I don't know. We'll see. Um, understanding that in time God will judge, and that He currently enters our brokenness. How should we respond now? What, what is the proper response that we should have now? So the book laid out some, some different thoughts, and I want to look at these, and we're going to look at some scripture tied to these as well. But, um, but how, how do we respond now in, this, in, in, in dealing with suffering, e- the presence of evil, wickedness, all these things in, in our current time? Number one, uh, trust God and live by faith. Trust God and live by faith. And uh, Brett, Brett mentioned that, the, the faith part. You, you, we got we got to grow our faith. We got to trust God and live by faith. Matter of fact, in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, um, no, that's not right. Oh, yeah, we go. At the end of that verse, sorry. Uh, the end of verse 4, I was reading the first part of verse 4. The end of verse 4, but the just shall live by his faith. How, what what do we need to do? We need we need to trust God. Job Job thirteen and verse fifteen. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. I mean that's a powerful statement. Amen. When you think about, you know, we study Job. We know the story of Job. We know what took place. In Job's life, the loss that was there, the suffering, the agony of what was there. And then for Job to make the statement, even if he kills me, I'm going to trust in him. What a powerful thought. I mean, that t- folks, that's a lot of faith. That's a lot of trust. Yes. You see in Job a good picture of mankind. You see moments of faith like that, those nuggets. Yeah. Of gold. Yeah. And you also see swinging the other way. Yeah. You see the suffering and the agony. Yeah. Agony. Yeah. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in a couple minutes if we make it there tonight. But uh, in Job particularly is one of them. But but uh, but yeah, we see that. But listen, we need to trust God and live by faith. Number two, number two, uh, we can pray for revival. We can pray for revival. Uh, Notice in Habakkuk chapter three and verse two, it says, "O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid." O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. And so what is Isaiah praying? I'm Habakkuk praying for. he's, He's praying for revival. He's praying for, you know, listen, folks, we have one of the most clearest state. Whoa. We have one of the clearest statements on revival in 2 Chronicles chapter, chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, that's us, folks. We're the called by his name. This is, this is not praying that everybody that's not saved gets saved. This is, this is how we get revival. It's when God's people 
which are called by his name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Listen, folks, I've brought this up many times before. If you want to see this nation be the nation it once was, it doesn't start in Washington. It's not going to happen in Washington. It's just not, folks. It's going to happen when God's people turn back to God, when they see revival in their lives. That's what's going to turn the nation if it's ever going to be turned again. And will that ever happen? I don't know. I don't know, folks. I don't know if we're so far gone in quote-unquote religion. I, I don't know if we're so far gone that there's no chance of that happening at this point. There may not be. There may not be. But if it's going to happen, if there's going to be another revival, and boy, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be wonderful to see one of those revivals like they had in, in England and, and, and the Welsh revivals and things like that? Wouldn't it be great to see one of those here in America? But if it's going to happen, it's going to happen when God's people get right first. Because I'm telling you right now, we got a lot of God's people and we got a lot of churches that aren't doing right today. They aren't. They're going against scripture, preaching things that are contrary to the scripture, and it's accepted. And so uh, there's going to have to be some big change, but that's how it happens. Number three in that list, uh, number three is rejoice in salvation. <laughs> Listen, one of the things that should be the greatest encouragement to us for those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ our Savior is that we are saved and we're going to heaven. And so we can rejoice in our salvation. Psalm 20 and verse 5 says, We will rejoice in thy salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. And then Psalm 13, 5, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in God's, uh, rejoice in thy salvation. So rejoice in salvation. Then number four, I almost read the wrong line there. Uh, rely on God's strength. Rely on God's strength. Back in Habakkuk uh, 3, and verse uh, 9, the bow, the, thy bow was made quite, quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah, thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. Talking, talking about God's judgment and the, and the fact that, that we need to rely where? On God's strength, not our strength. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite passages in, in all the Bible, I have this in my office on a, it, in a frame in my office is 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, verse 9, but really it's verses 9 to 11. Um, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have commended, uh, commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. And so what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, our strength doesn't come from ourselves. Our strength doesn't come because we've been able to muster enough of it up, you know, and, and that'd be great, but that's not where it comes from. Our strength comes when we rely on God's strength and our weakness. And um, that and that's always been one of the verses that just means so much to me. And then number five, number five, uh, con continue with confidence. Continue with confidence. Note, notice what we read at the end of Habakkuk there, um, 
when Habakkuk was talking about uh, trusting God and God being his strength. And he says, he will make my feet like hinds feet, like deer. You know, deer jumping. You know, if you ever watch deer, now listen, I'm not a hunter, but I've seen enough deer in my life running around in fields. They just look effortless as they run through the fields. I mean, they just, they run up hills, run between trees, jump over fences. I mean, it's just amazing to watch deer in the wild. And, uh, and Habakkuk says, listen, the, the Lord, the Lord just, just strengthens me and strengthens my walk is what he's saying. And, um, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35 says, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. And so uh, we need to have a continue with confidence in God. Um, I think I'm going to reverse the next two sections um, because we're going to we, we want to look at some uh, some people in the scripture that that dealt with suffering, but also saw God's hand of providence in their lives. But we're not going to be able to finish that tonight. So I don't want to start that tonight. So what I'm going to do instead is look at some a few things from history um, that the book mentioned. And I thought they were really good. So I'm just going to read them to you. Um, you know, we often we often think of um, of these things, and we and we just we don't understand how how you know such horrendous suffering sometimes. Even in that, good can come out of it. And so the book the book mentioned uh, four examples, and so I thought they were good. So I'm just going to read them to you tonight. Uh, the first one it says is the Holocaust is one of the greatest atrocities recorded in human history. Yet today we can see how this tremendous uh, act of evil directly led to the world's decision to institute a national homeland for the nation of Israel. And this is one example of many throughout history of great evils being used by God to accomplish great goods. Here's a couple more. The Civil War, obviously in our nation, was a uh, time of horrible violence within our nation, but it ultimately helped to purge the U.S. of slavery. Uh, Another one, Alexander the Great was a prideful, power-hungry drunkard who violently conquered the known world, but God used his empire to build an infrastructure and cultural unity that would ultimately lead to the rapid spread of the gospel in the first century. And um, then the last one is Henry VIII. Henry VIII was a proud, lustful king who was only concerned with his own legacy, but God used him to pull England out of the Roman Catholic Church, leaving them more open for biblical Christianity at the time of the Reformation. So we think of these events and we think of these horrendous things, and these were horrendous things in history. The Holocaust, the Civil War, the, the conquering of Alexander the Great, Henry VIII. Uh, we think of these guys, these ruthless rulers and things like that, and yet God somehow managed because he's God, (laughs) to take these horrible things and see good come out of them. Now, were these horrible atrocities? Absolutely. Without a doubt. This, I mean, this was evil, all these things. But good still came out of it. And, And so we have to understand, even when we don't always understand it. I mean, we can look at these events now, and we can say, oh, look. Look what happened because of this. Look what happened because of that. But at the time... At the time of Alexander the Great, nobody was looking like, oh, yeah, look, this is great. Alexander's just conquering the whole world. I mean, he's just out there ruthless, and he's just tearing everybody up. Nobody was looking at it going, this is great. 
No, they, they probably all feared for their lives. But what did he do? He, he, he conquered his own world. And, and we know the Romans built a road system that the gospel, when the, when the Jews were dispersed from Jerusalem, they went all throughout the Roman road system. And they did what? They took the gospel with them. And so even in those wicked things and those wicked nations and those wicked rulers, good comes out of those things. And, and we even know the judgment that was come, about to come on Israel uh, in, with the Babylonian attack. There would be good that would come out of that. There would be. And we'll talk about some of that next week when we talk about one of the characters that comes out of that. But, uh, but anyway, but there, in evil... And there's always going to be evil until God returns because the curse is not removed until until the end of the story. It's at the end that the new heaven, new earth and the curse is removed. Um, but when that happens, folks, all this evil, all the wickedness, all the suffering, all the pain, all the tears are all going to be dealt with. And boy, what a wonderful day that'll be. Next week, we're going to finish off this section. Then we'll actually move into a new section. We just didn't have time to finish that next section of the page. So try to hang on to your handout this week because I don't want to have to just reprint that section before we go into the new section. So, But we'll look at next week. So think about, think about this week. Think about what I've got written here. I said, besides Habakkuk and Joseph, because we mentioned Joseph the other week, besides Habakkuk and Joseph, who are some other Bible characters that experienced suffering but also saw God's providence in their lives? Now, we could probably name a whole lot more than five blanks, but I've got five pretty prominent characters that I've listed uh, here, and we're going to look at that next week. But what I want to do is I'm going to look, I want us to, we're actually going to look at the suffering they experienced, and we're going to look at the outcome of that suffering in the end, and we're going to see some wonderful things. So, all right, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for the day, for your blessings to us. Lord, thank you for the time that we can study your word. And, and Lord, we just pray that you would help us to, to gain things from this study that will encourage us in our walk each and every day. Lord, I pray that we would learn to put our faith and trust in you as we should rejoice in our salvation, Lord, and be thankful and grateful. And Lord, we just pray that you take each one of us home safely this evening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.